Ladies and gentlemen, Cardinal fans of all ages, welcome to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. I'm Chris Grace. I'll be your host, joined every week by current Wesleyan Athletic Director and former head football coach, Mike Whalen. Each week, Coach and I will interview some of your favorite former Cardinals and find out exactly what they've been up to. Without further ado, it's time to check in with the coach, Mike Whalen. Okay, Coach, another episode. This one, I look forward to all of them, but this one I've been asking and asking and asking and asking. I was just dying to know how this was even possible for a human being to coach elite level sports on both the men's and women's side at the same time. And that's what we have tonight. Our guest tonight, Coach, is who? Our head men's and women's tennis coach, uh, Mike Freed, uh, is with us tonight. He's, um, he's actually our first guest that uh, um, is not a West grad. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, 2019 uh, national champion from with our women's tennis team and 2021 national runner up uh, just, just a couple of weeks ago, um, has just done an incredible job uh, in his tenure uh, at his 10 years uh, tenure at Wesleyan and um, you know really excited to uh, to talk with him about uh, you know kind of where he where he was and where we are and what what holds the future for uh, Wesleyan tennis yeah I'm really excited those of you who listen know that I am more than just football and basketball and baseball I am a tennis man at heart and when you're a tennis man at heart you're a tennis man at love because I love tennis and tennis loves me and we love our guests tonight. But first things first, it's 40 love and uh, Mike O'Brien's got to tell us how they can stay connected with our podcast. So you can stay connected with the podcast by following us on Twitter and Instagram at West underscore athletics and on Facebook at Wesleyan.athletics. You could also subscribe to Chris and coach beyond the box score on Apple podcasts. And you can contact us directly by emailing athletics at wesleyan.edu. And obviously, if you have any any uh, suggestions, questions, um, you know, future guest recommendations, uh, we're 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 always open for suggestions. So, uh, you know, don't reach out to me because I don't do social media. But reach out to one of those guys and uh, either either uh, Chris or Mike, and and uh, we can we can uh, we'll 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 definitely. Uh, uh, take you up on your suggestions. We'd certainly love to hear from you. You could also uh, yell at me directly at Chris Grace 82 on that Twitter machine if that's uh, something you're interested in. But for now, you're not going to want to miss this very fascinating human being with a fascinating story. And uh, he deals with the set of circumstances that literally I don't think anyone else in the world of college athletics deals with. Our guest tonight, Wesleyan Athletics, men's and women's, both the ITA men's and women's national coach of the year. That's right. He's excelling on both sides. He is Mike Freed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. As always, joined by the coach, current Wesleyan Athletic Director, former head football coach Mike Whalen, joined by the producer, Mike O'Brien. And if two mics aren't enough, we've got a third mic, head women's and men's. Tennis coach at Wesley and Mike Freed is with us. I'm Chris Grace. As always, I'm pumped up for this one as a tennis guy. I love talking tennis. Coach Freed, it's so nice to finally have you on our podcast. Podcast. I've been asking for this moment. Coach Whalen made it happen after a long season. We finally get to spend some time and get to meet you. It's great to have you on our show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I, I, I'd be happy to come on the show and literally just listen to your voice for an hour. I don't have to say a word. I don't have to hear anybody talk <laughs> to you. Just that is the golden voice. I, I'm a podcast groupie for Chris and Coach, just to listen to it. So happy to be here. All right, I'm done, Coach. You take over. <laughs> <laughs> so so seriously, though, Coach, uh, I got to be careful with my coaches now. I got two coaches and I got three mics. So Coach Freed, um, every week you're our first – Tribute question for all the other Chris and Coach groupies. You're our first guest who's not a Wes alum. I am the first and only host who's not a Wes alum, so we have similar playing field. <laughs> um, but typically what I ask people is, how did you become a Cardinal? So that question still applies to you here. What I want to know is, how did you end up at Wesleyan? How did you find an opportunity um, to coach college tennis? 
Uh, yeah, it seems on the one hand, like a long time ago now. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's over 10 years now, I think. Um, but I had recently moved to Connecticut, um, from Boston and was kind of, um, splitting time between New York and Boston working in, in financial world and kind of had a midlife crisis. And for the first time in a while, really missed, um, everything about tennis. I missed my college tennis days. I missed playing tennis. And I had, you know, a, a little bit of an inclination to, to want to get back on the court. And, you know, the midlife part was such that I, I wasn't going to get it back on the court playing that much, but maybe coaching and um, um, an opportunity to kind of come and help with the teams at Wesleyan um, came on the table. And I eagerly jumped at that and had the chance to kind of come in and work a little bit um, kind of part time with both the men's and the women's teams. And then a year after that, the, the opportunity to work full-time with the women's team uh, came on the table. And then after that, the opportunity to work with both teams came on the table. And Coach Whalen was uh, either brave or, or um, novice enough to, to think that I might be able to handle the job and offered it to me. And uh, that's a decade in the rearview mirror. So just so you guys may not be aware, Coach Freed is not only the men's and women's tennis coach at Wesleyan, but he's the men's and women's tennis coach of two teams that have been in the top 10 over the last half a decade. Uh, he's been the ITA men's and women's coach of the year. So he's not just coaching the men's and women's teams. He's coaching elite level men's and women's teams. So my question for you is, how on earth is that possible? How on earth are you able to spread yourself Cause that's a big time deal, man. I mean, no one would ever even think about doing that in any other sport. How are you able to do that? How, I mean, I get the practices. You can in theory practice and spread the courts and be able to be around both and spread your practice times. But in terms of competition, how are you able to be in both places? How are you able to, you know, uh, have competitive teams on both sides of the aisle? Um, I don't think there's a magic formula for it, but if there was, it would be in somewhat equal doses of insanity on my part, an incredibly, you know, supportive athletic director, great assistant coaches and a really forgiving wife. And so some combination of that is such that we're <laughs> able to, to pull it off and continue to make it work. Well, I can tell you, Chris, that, um, you know, when, when, uh, you know, coach Fried first came to us and, uh, you know, again, it's, um, I've, I've said many, many, many times that, you know, it's, it's, it's not rocket scientists and I, you know, I'm a firm believer in, you know, successful people can be successful in, 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 in many different fields. And, um, we'll, we'll talk about Mike's experience as a player, but you know, when I, when I heard about his pedigree as a player at Brown and everything he had done at Brown and then done after Brown and, um, you know, I knew that that piece of it was in place. And then, you know, when I watched him, um, you know, work with our, our women's team um, and, uh, you know, have just about every kid on the team come in and tell me, you know, what an incredible job, uh, you know, he was doing with the women's team. And then when the opportunity, um, you know, presented itself to um, also become the coach, you know, I kind of said to him, you know, we talked a little bit about it. We said, I said to him, I said, you know, Mike, you know, should I be going to our administration? Cause I, again, I was a new athletic director at that point. And I said, should I be going to our administration and, and pushing to, to split the job? You know, cause I, you know, I was coming from Williams and, you know, Williams had, you know, you know, national, national uh, program um, on both sides, but in particular the women, they were on a credible run. And I said, you know, you know, should we follow the Williams model? And, you know, I love this answer. You know, he just like didn't flinch. Didn't, you know, he said, no, he said, no, I, I, I'd like to do both. And I'm like, great. And I said, you, you know, I, you know, you, you, you sure you know what you're signing up for here? He said, no, I, I, I think, you know, and as I got, as we got to know each other better, um, you know, I, I, you know, I really, um, came to, to love the, the, the competitive side of, of coach Freed. And he's such a mild mannered person. Um, such a great guy, such an easygoing guy, but also, an, you know, an intense competitor. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that, you know, he had this, this uh, internal um, challenge of, 
you know, looking at the top programs in the NESCAC, looking at the Williams, looking at the Amherst, looking at the Middlebury, you know, and seeing all those top programs, Bowden, all having separate coaches, you know, and then it was kind of the league of the have and the have nots. And Wesleyan at that time was a have not when he was taking it over. And he was bound and determined that he could come and he could take this over and he could take Wesleyan by himself, put both programs on his shoulders and take us to be a have and not be a have not. And when he, you know, when we talked about that proposal and I, and I felt that vibe from him, that's when I knew that we had found our next tennis coach and that, you know, Wesleyan tennis was going places and uh, um, you know, the rest is history. So it's uh, it's, you know, if you're a successful person and you, and you have a passion and you have a vision and, and, you know, you, you, you know what you want, you know, uh, as long as you're in a supportive system and, and people around you are, are, are willing to work with you, then, you know, there's, there's, you know, the results are going to be there. And, um, you know, it's, it's, to me, I, you know, every, every single year I'm amazed in terms of, you know, the heights that our programs, you know, achieve and, and the, the incredible student athletes that Mike continues to, to bring to Wesleyan and, and how fortunate we are to have him as our coach. So coach, well, those, those are, I have to interrupt for one sec, Chris, sorry to say those are incredibly kind words and I greatly appreciate them, but I also feel the need to go on record as saying that, that, you know, way back when in that conversation, you know, now in retrospect, no, I had no idea what I was doing. And I probably said that only because I knew it's what you want to hear. It would offer me the job. So it's official. Okay. <laughs> so you're smart. So, you know, people record. too. So, you know, people too. I got to <laughs> add that to the list. So coach Freed, my question for you is you basically have a set of twins say you have twin 16 year old boys and one of them is a baseball player. And one of them is a lacrosse player and they both have games on Saturdays. How do you figure out which game you're going to? Because I know during the course of the regular season, you could probably manipulate the schedule in certain ways. You could be both places. You certainly can't manipulate it for the NCAA tournaments or for the NESCAC tournaments. So how does that work? How do you determine, well, I'm going to be with the guys team this day and the women's team this day, or, or, is it, does one assistant coach primarily, you know, cover your back for one thing or another? Take me through that process. Cause when I first found out, when I first, you know, started working with coach at Wesleyan and, and I saw the success you guys were having, I didn't realize there was one coach. And when I found that out, I, I almost started laughing. I said, that's not possible because I've been around high school tennis and see what it's like trying to be around the, the boys and the girls in high school. So how do you do that at a college level? I mean, what is that like for you uh, on a scheduling, you know, perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, but it's actually, we are able to schedule it so that we play, you know, in the same place. So, you know, to use the baseball lacrosse analogy too, and if they're at different places, it's obviously impossible, but we schedule everything so that we're playing, you know, back to back in the same location. So we'll have a home match and, you know, women or men will play in the morning and the other team in the afternoon and the same thing when we're on the road. And yeah, the one exception, and even at the NCAA is by the time you get to the, to the elite eight, to the final host site, they schedule it specifically around our program if, if both men and women are, are, are playing so that we'll play back to back. And it makes for obviously really, really, sometimes really long days. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's there's so few instances of a conflict where where I can't be at everyone's match that um, it's almost a non-issue. That's awesome. And that's probably that's actually you know, now that I think about it, that makes sense the way the NESCAC schedules stuff. You know, you travel from other sports, they kind of travel the same places. So that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so you haven't, have you had any examples of there being a conflict where you, where you couldn't? And can you tell me about that? What your favorite or not favorite or least favorite or most memorable situation where you could be in the same place? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the one time it comes up um, and, and there's no way to kind of work around it is for the NCAA regional rounds. And so if one team is sent, then there's a whole kind of complicated formula within the geographic kind of radius of which teams are allowed to travel and they try and minimize the teams that they have to fly out to the regional rounds. And so, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, the women actually hosted. And so we had the first uh, few matches of NCAAs at Wesleyan for the women, but the men were sent to Johns Hopkins and I actually stayed with the, the women and, um, Ben and CJ assistant coaches that are amazing went with the men to Hopkins 
And, you know, the primary memory, you know, for me, probably not for them is, you know, me being literally on, you know, a three hour call on a live line, kind of going point by point through the, the men's match with Kenyon in the, in the round of 16. Um, I think, I think one or both of them hung up on me multiple times and said <laughs> it was bad, bad reception, but um, <laughs> it was interesting to, to be, you know, finishing a match, you know, at home and, you know, literally kind of listening in point by point um, from Hopkins. So it happens. Yeah, it's a, I'm telling you, Coach Whalen, you have no idea what coaching tennis is like. It is, it is the most excruciating, brutal to not be there and have to live on point. Like uh, every single shot could be the end of your, your existence. It is brutal, especially when it comes down to like four or five or six singles and there's pushing going on. It is just agonizing. You have no idea what that is like, Coach Whalen. And, you think you do, you don't. It is just, it's, it's all time stressful. So to not be there, I, I can, I can feel for you, coach Freed. I, I really can. Um, so you built up the, you know, the, the men's program in, in the women's program similarly, but then the women's program has just really, obviously the men's program has done great things too, but the women's program over the last four years, is just five years. It's just done amazing things. Um, you guys got to the mountaintop. So walk us through that day. Walk us through what that was like. I remember watching the match online, and I think it was similar, a similar kind of match to what I was just describing. Um, you know, what was that like having to be on the sidelines there and, and just uh, watching slowly, shot by shot, being close to getting across the line for the first time, this this 10-year journey kind of come to its culmination? Um, I mean, look, to this day, you know, it's still a little bit of a blur. Um, uh, and it's just, you know, once you get out there, it's so much going on and, you know, matches and then, you know, recovery and meals and preparation for the next match. And it's just so hectic that there's not a whole lot of time to kind of let it sink in. You're either kind of playing, recovering or kind of prepping for the next one. And so it hasn't, you know, fully sunk in. But the way you just described it is really cool. I mean, because it, it did really feel, you know, in some ways like a 10, 10 year journey. You know, I think people, you know, think, oh, it's a good season or a good postseason. And there's just so much that, that really leads up to it. I mean, there's so many players and so many people. And there's Coach Whalen's involvement on so many different levels. And there's assistant coaches in so many different levels and supporters of the program and, and the recruiting process and, and the ups and downs that, you know, every individual student athlete on the team has and has had, you know, and the ability to kind of help them kind of work through this stuff and put themselves in a position you know, to, to see the culmination of their 10 plus year journeys, because it's been more for them since they were juniors and kind of started training and playing tennis competitively. And um, yeah, it, I feel like, you know, it's like, it, it's like, you know, we watch the Academy Awards and, you know, every time I watch it, you know, why is this person talking for seven minutes and thanking, you know, all these people, because it, you know, the other cliche is it takes a village. I mean, it takes, you know, a whole lot of people making massive amounts of sacrifices. And so it really does feel, you know, a lot more like, you know, a lot less like you're winning a tennis match and that you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, seeing the finish line of something that, you know, started a long time before even beginning of that season, you know, and, and in our case too, you know, we talk about, you know, rankings or the, the, the kind of top of the mountain, you know, it's impossible to, to you know, kind of discuss that, you know, progression without talking about, you know, the contribution, the impact of, you know, I think it was your first guest on the podcast, Yudis, uh, was she the first one? It's our first tennis guest. So, tennis in your, guest. so in your mind, she was our first guest. Yes. You probably got. I'm turned on to... only... No, no, yeah. no. We've had, we've had two. I'm kidding. Vicky too. No, I mean, only I, I, I'm, I'm tunnel vision for tennis. No, no, oh, no. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. No. Who was the first guest? Was Jed Hoyer? Jed Hoyer. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was okay. He just was a natural. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but that, but yeah, I, I think I think though your point there, Mike, is is uh, you know is 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 a valid one in terms of you know just talking about Eudis and and you know her amazing journey to Wes and then you know incredible career and you know, she continues to play today. But you know you know I think you know, I, I think that you know for our listeners you know just just maybe uh, getting some inside perspective on you know how you recruited her to Westland, you know, and, you know, you know, how incredibly 
fortunate we were to to have a player of her. I mean, you, you knew. I mean, when when you came to me and and you know, I still remember that day. You know, the you know me and you and and Yudis and her parents. You know, sitting in Kelly conference room and 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 talking about you know our vision for your vision for Wesleyan tennis and and uh, you know um, you know I think you know them maybe looking at us you know partly because they didn't understand English that well, but also because you know they were looking at us like you know what are you, you, you what are you selling us here? You know, you, you guys haven't won very much here before, and you know. You, you know, we, we, we're, we're sending our daughter off to, to, to this university in Middletown, Connecticut. And, and, uh, little, little did they know that, you know, she was going to come and, and, and put us on the map and, 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 you know, just, just, you know, arguably become one of the most incredible tennis players to play NCAA tennis at any level. So just talk a little bit about that, that whole, that whole process. Uh, I, can I use for all of my answers? It's a little bit of a blur because I've always said <laughs> it, but, but it's the truth. You know, I, you know, we got really lucky. I mean, I'm really persistent and we got really lucky that, you know, you just and her family, you know, were looking for a connection. They were looking for her, for her to have a really well-rounded college experience. They had zero ego. And so they were not at all concerned with, you know, perceived prestige or brand name. And so, the fact that our tennis program wasn't, you know, number one in the country, the fact that U.S. News and World Report said that Wesleyan wasn't number one in the country didn't really phase them, you know. And as they kind of went around and did visits, you know, they were primarily kind of concerned and interested whether she felt the connection to the school and to, to you know, the, the coach and the team members. And we were, you know, really fortunate that for whatever reason she did and that they were, you know, not only, you know, committed to the idea of her coming to Wesleyan but you know as she continued to you know to you know set new records and win more tournaments um for her to stay there like it never it never you know crossed their mind that you know hey maybe she should go take a scholarship in her junior year you know and play you know on a full ride at Stanford you know they, they were just really happy with the experience she was having you know on the team and at Wesleyan and yeah I mean I think that you know it, it's a testament to her and to her family that you know you know what they were looking for is 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 atypical in the sense that you know you know everybody else is 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 oftentimes hung up on the idea of, of you know the the splash that can make at the top of d1 tennis and if she didn't feel like it was the right fit for her or going to open the doors to what was for to come for her either tennis wise or, or professionally after college and that she could get what she was looking for at Wesleyan and not be swayed by, you know, that, that pressure. Thank goodness. <laughs> I mean, when you talk about, when you talk about an impact recruit, like if you look up impact recruit in the dictionary, like her picture should be there. I mean, you know, just in terms of, you know, just changing the entire culture, the, you know, just, just, everything about the program. I mean, you know, when, when she came and, and the ironic, you know, the, the piece that I, I, to this day, you know, am, am just so amazed by is, so she comes in and, you know, she's a four-time NCAA singles champion and, you know, uh, you know, doubles champion and, you know, all these other tournaments she's won. And, um, and yet we win the national championship the year after she graduates, you know, I mean, that, 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 that's just incredible. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, much of that national championship obviously was due to, you know, you know, her influence and, and what she brought to the program. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. And, and at the same time, you know, the rest of that class deserves credit too, because, you know, you obviously on the court was, was, you know, doing things that literally were unprecedented but, you know, Nicole and Ashley and Helen that came with her, they, they changed together with you just the entire culture of the program. And so I had an idea for, for, you know, where we wanted to go culturally and the standards we wanted to set that would, if we in fact were able to recruit at a high enough level, you know, put us in position to, you know, to, to be amongst the best teams in the country or win national championships, but they implemented it. And without, you know, that entire recruiting class, that, as you say, you know, didn't, I don't think we got past the quarters of NCAAs with, with that group. Um, it doesn't happen. The cultural shift is, is just as significant, if not more significant than, 
you know, the, the jump in tennis level that, you know, we've had. So coach Freed, you know, coach William will understand this from a wrestling coach's perspective, but wrestling being one of the only sports close to tennis, that it's an individual sport, but in college and in high school, it's a team sport. So you've got these players on your team, six, seven, eight, depending on if someone plays only doubles that grew up pretty much being an individual. And now they're in an environment where there are six or seven other girls or guys that are leaning on them for success. And it's super cool. Tennis players love that because junior tennis is miserable. It is the most miserable, <laughs> awful, terrible, toxic existence. And I guarantee you, because I know that you played junior tennis, you must have if you played number one at Brown. So you know what I'm talking about. If you win, you feel no joy. And when you lose, the world is coming to an end. And then you get to college and you get to experience college. And you got six other girls that have had the same background as you. So you create this culture of teamwork and loving each other. But in order to do that, you have to have a coach that creates a culture of these concepts. So talk about that aspect, Coach Freed, if you can. Talk about the culture of camaraderie that comes with team tennis that is certainly not there in professional tennis and it's not there in junior tennis. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it's funny to hear you say it because, you know, I, I feel like I talk about it all the time. And, and honestly, it's the focal point of, of our culture is not only, you know, us standard of not only, you know, the kind of comprehensiveness of what we're trying to do training wise and the, the, you know, the work ethic and the conscientiousness and the kind of commitment to the process necessary to put ourselves in position to reach our potential, but even more so is the environment in which we're doing it. And our whole kind of focus is to do exactly what you just said is to magnify the sense of playing tennis generally for the first time in anybody's life as a team sport. And back to your earlier point, you know, there are some cons and there are definitely some challenges of working with both teams, but for us, and, and I think what makes, you know, our program unique is that we can kind of magnify that by encompassing, you know, a much bigger group into this family, into this team. So it's not just the women's team. It's not just the men's team. It's the program and the kind of camaraderie and the integration and the support system between the two teams is, I don't want to say unparalleled, but it's certainly unique. Um, and for us, it's, it's even more expensive than that. We, you know, are very deliberate to, you know, include the families of all the team members into this family to include, include an alumni base and include, you know, a particular group of alumni that are really actively engaged in what the teams and what the program are doing, that they're mentoring every single player on our team, that they're participating in a lot of the things we're doing. They're on campus, they're at matches off campus. And, yeah, I mean, we, we, on a daily basis, look to make sure that we're capitalizing on that sense of community and that sense of family, such that it feels as far away from the loneliness of junior tennis as you can possibly get. Yeah, and, and honestly, I hadn't thought about this, but it's got to be, uh, to some degree, and I hate that we're focusing just exclusively on the women's team, or, or we've spent most of our time on it, but I, I'm sure it's got to be a plus for both. To, to be around that, that environment, the togetherness. I'm sure at a lot of D1 universities that have huge, I went to a D1 school that has a huge women's team and a huge men's team. They cross paths and they have similar interests, but on a day-to-day -day basis, they're not on the court at the same time. Do you guys practice at the same time together? Do the men and women practice together at the same time? Yeah, we practice primarily at the same time. And so, you know, we're on adjacent banks of court. So the men, men and women are next to each other. Uh, on set days a week, we'll completely integrate. So we're yeah. doing stuff together. Um, and, you know, even, even separately, a lot of times we'll do our conditioning post-practice or strength work together as both teams combined. And yeah, the uniqueness of that. And then, you know, socially the idea that, you know, anybody who's not running off to, you know, a TA session or to a study group after practice, you know, 75% of the men's team and the women's team are going to dinner together, you know, five nights a week after practice and on the weekends together. And you're completely right. It's just, you know, the structure of having the same set of coaches for both teams allows for an integration and a kind of cultural kind of, you know, merge of, of the two teams into one program that's simply just not available. It's not even logistically possible 
at other places. And, you know, in some ways, yeah, it's difficult. It, it, it's particularly challenging. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, I guess, too. But, you know, we try to look at that challenge as, as a significant advantage in terms of our program. And, and I want to go back to, uh, um, to, to you just for a minute, because, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, well, obviously, because, you know, I just love talking about you just, but, uh, besides that, um, uh, the, the, I, I can't let this podcast go by without, without getting you to comment on, um, Eudis's senior year, she's playing for her fourth consecutive national championship and she happens to be playing her teammate in in the finals and it's the first time in ncaa history that two women are uh, from the same team are playing for the ncaa championship and i called you talked to you is that right is that correct i don't know about that i think it is it's very um, possible yeah but but um the uh so i called you like during the afternoon. And I jokingly said to you, I said, Mike, I said, so are you just going to get like a large bucket of popcorn and just kind of sit on the bench and just sit back and watch? And, and you, you know, we joked about it a little bit. And then after you, you told me how stressful it was and you know, how you totally underestimated the situation. So totally. I got to hear your, your, you know, your recollection of, of, of that, uh, of that match. Um, yeah, I mean, it should have been the coolest thing in the entire world. And in some ways it was, but it was also, you know, miserable. It was, <laughs> it was, um, I had no idea what to do. I was downplaying. I thought when I talked to you, I wasn't faking it. I thought that this is going to be so nice and so relaxing. And it was just so weird because at first they weren't sure, you know, how, how, you know, competitive to be and how hard to go. And so it was a little awkward. And then they both kind of settled in and Vicky was playing probably the best match of the year. and. Eudis was still a little bit tentative really and it was just um I don't know I still have you know some some hangnails from what I did to all <laughs> 10 fingers that match you know four years ago whenever it was um but you know that's that's all on me and I honestly I just just made a pact to to the team that my goal is to do a better job of of showing and acting in, in a in a uh, calm adding demeanor as opposed to you know not masking my my own tension on the sidelines during matches well enough and luckily on that match i think i was hiding you know for most of it behind Eudis's parents and vicky's parents and kind of going back and forth you know chatting with people so i'd stay distracted so <laughs> well that that's uh that's that's you know was was i just remember that and watching that and just you know shaking my head and saying you know uh you know i was i was you know your biggest fan i was as optimistic as anybody but I, I, you know, if you just said to me that was going to happen, I was going to say, really? Like, I mean, really? And, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty incredible. And then the other thing that you gotta, now you gotta go the next year into the national championship and it comes down to Polina's match and, um, she won the first set. Right. And then in the second set, she lost the second set and you, you, started to go out to talk to her in between and she gave you the Heisman and she put her, she put her hand up like this and basically said, I got this. And, and, and you stopped dead in your tracks, turned around, walked off. She went back and she, and she mowed her right down in the third set. Is that right? Is that right? It's pretty similar to that too. She, she wasn't, wasn't as blunt. It makes a better story with the Heisman motion. But you, <laughs> you get a, a little break after you split sets. So before the third set, we took a walk, her and I do, and you're walking to the bathroom and um, kind of talking a little bit about strategy and making sure she had what she needed. And yeah, she did at that point, literally stop me mid sentence and just kind of stop walking as well too. And in her dead tracks, kind of look up and say, coach, I got this. And yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes somebody says something and you just know it to be true and you believe it. And that was one of those times. I think I was telling her beforehand that, you know, there's nobody we'd rather have in this position, you know, and I think I might've been a little bit of a jerk and said, you know, with the possible exception of Eudis, because you know, <laughs> like, like you, I always got to bring Eudis back conversation. But, but all kidding aside, yeah, she literally did stop in her tracks and say, I got this. And, and just the way her, she delivered it was just so calm and so self-assured that kind of thought she had it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she did. 
And yeah. she did. So, yep. Coach Freed, I, 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 I want to know this having coached high school, but not college. And I know what went into our lineups on a week to week basis and the way we looked at things, you know, people may not realize that like with, with college tennis, the person who's playing six singles is just as valuable as the person who's playing number one singles. But there's a, there's a, I don't know how you describe it. There's an honor involved in the way you set your lineup. And there's a strategy involved in the way you set your lineup. I mean, it doesn't do any, you could play Udis at number six. It's not going to do you any favors because it's moving everybody up a spot, but there's a lot of gamesmanship involved. How stagnant is your lineup during the season? And I don't want you to give away any secrets here, but how much movement is there? And, and within the team, how much movement do you allow once the season starts? Is it a dynamic thing in which you embrace the competition or is there kind of a line there where you establish a, a, you establish a lineup and you roll with it for, for the good of the team? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. And, and look, uh, in terms of, you know, moving your lineup around, there are definitely rules in terms of, you know, if somebody loses X number of matches in a row, you know, you're required to move them and you can't move them if they're winning a certain lineup spot. You can't, you can only move somebody, you know, one adjacent lineup spot, you know, in, in subsequent matches. So there are some stipulations for sure as to what you can and can't do. But the trickier part is actually setting the lineup to begin with. And, and yeah, some schools, some coaches will play, you know, kind of formal challenge matches and set the lineup based on that. Um, some will use UTR now, a rating system that, that is, you know, independent from, from all of this stuff. And we're, you know, a little bit more, you know, art than science and sometimes get it right and sometimes don't in terms of trying to incorporate all these data points and data points include, you know, what they look like in practice, you know, what are doing in the practice sets we play that are not challenge matches, but just kind of competitive sets that we're playing because we deliberately don't play, you know, I think that, um, you know, sometimes there'll be, you know, we'll feel the need to kind of foster and kind of ramp up the, the, the competitiveness within the squad. But, you know, the last several years, it's been pretty good on its own and we're kind of avoiding that and just playing practice sets. Um, a lot of times the fall tournaments that we get to play will be great data points. Sometimes if, if uh, the teams are able to play tournaments in the summer, those matches are important. Um, and then usually we'll, we'll attempt to go into our spring trip, you know, early March where we'll go either down to Florida or out to California and generally try and schedule a bunch of the top nationally ranked teams that aren't from the Northeast that we're not going to see when we get back home in the regular season. Um, and put out a lineup that we think is, you know, the best chance of winning to start the trip. And then usually by the end of it, moving some things around based on what we see and how people are doing in those spots and how they're playing, look to kind of come back from that trip and go into the NESCAC season with a lineup that's not really going to change much unless, you know, something blatant is happening, unless somebody, you know, is really struggling in a spot and the, the person below them is dominating or unless, you know, the data points change fairly dramatically. And, and then one last thing, coach, and then I'll let you, I'll let you jump in here. Cause this is, I, you know, this is my wheelhouse here. I love this stuff. Um, do you typically play six and that's it? Or do you, do you find that you have double specialists that you mix in from time to time? Yeah, we, it's a really good point too. Not, not neither by rule of thumb, we'll, we'll kind of play with what gives us the best opportunity in our opinion. So lately there has been on both men's and women's teams, you know, one, uh, sometimes there's even two players too that do specialize that are predominantly singles players or only doubles players. Um, but there's no hard, fast rule too. I mean, if it's, if the six players on the team are the best six or, you know, the, the six that we feel give us the best chance to get six points in singles and three points in doubles, so be it. And if it's a different grouping that, that gives us those, you know, matchups, we'll try that. But the tricky part for us has been as our, as our rosters have expanded some in the last couple of years, is that, you know, there are really thin margins between, you know, some of the people that are, you know, 9, 10, 11 kind of on our, on our team and people that are playing, you know, 5, 6. And the difference between playing 5, 6 is, is fairly, you know, non-existent. The difference between playing 6 and 7, you know, being in the lineup and out of the lineup is, is really significant. And so that art versus science thing is, is you know, really becomes important as does, you know, the, the ability for the people that are disappointed inevitably by not getting into the starting lineup or the opportunity to play and contribute in singles or doubles, you know, how they respond to that and how they kind of handle that and what they're able to kind of bring to the team, you know, in the face of that disappointment. 
So Mike, we've got to ask you, um, you know, the, 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 you know, 2019. It's about you. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to you. I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a, a question off one, one question off from you. Um, by the hey, way, I hope you, I hope, I hope she listens to this. Hi, you How are you? Um, and, um, uh, so 2019, uh, men have a great season. Women obviously win the national championship, uh, coming back in 2020 and then COVID hits. And, um, you know, I know we've had conversations offline and, um, you know, what, 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 you know, maybe a lot of people don't know is, you know, kind of how poised our men were to also potentially make a run. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you hear, you have a, a great nucleus returning from a national championship on the women's team and, and, and kind of an emerging, uh, you know, you know, taking that next step from the elite eight to, to the next step, you know, on, on the men's side and all that's happening and then COVID hits and, and then recruiting and then come into this season. And I mean, the, you know, I, you know, we, 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 the, the nice big couch I have in my office has gotten a lot of use, um, you know, from during COVID from you coming in and, and, and talking and, 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 and us just kind of talking through some of this, but, I just, I just think it's important to kind of talk through just that, that whole period of COVID and, 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 um, you know, how, you know, coming out of the other side of that has, you know, has meant so much for so many reasons. Um, yeah. I mean, first of all, thank you for the access to the couch and the therapy much appreciated <laughs> too. I, I think that, you know, had you had the appropriate letters and degrees after your name, you'd realize that rehashing these painful memories so soon is not the appropriate way to <laughs> go about this because, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, with hopefully not stepping on anybody's toes. Yeah. This was, you know, far and away, you know, I, I, I think honestly, you know, you know, probably even better than the women in 2019 or the women in 2021. I, I think that our men's team was best positioned to win a national championship this year, you know, more than any of them. And COVID happened. And then piece by piece, <laughs> things, you know, went different directions. And it became, you know, you know, we, we played our first men's match of the year this year. And, you know, until 24 or 48 hours before it was unclear whether we we're going to be able to field a full, a full, a full team, you know, a starting lineup. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, look, you know, rolling with the punches is a part of coaching. It's a part of life. It's part of everything. And yeah, it's, um, you know, it's particularly cool to, you know, having, having had, you know, for, for, for the way it unfolded, you know, we feel is a really successful experience with the men's team this year and, and, and a really, you know, good season. Um, and, you know, for the women's team to, to, to make the run they did is, you know, is awesome. I think, you know, you probably know better than I did, you know, at what date, you know, we found out that, you know, we were going to, you know, have some semblance of a season. And even then it was February something at some point in yeah. February. Yeah. And at that point, you know, there were no overnight matches. It was unclear if we were going to be able to play teams from, from out of state, either out of state or, or at home, you know, there was clearly no, no, you know, promise of a postseason, either NESCAC or NCAA wise. And so, you know, to kind of, you know, you know, field a full team on the men's side and, and be whatever, you know, five and two and, you know, only losing to, to, you know, one top team, both matches and, you know, for the women to, you know, then beat, you know, Williams, Amherst, Middlebury, Tufts and, and, you know, win the NESCAC, win a little three. And then, you know, it's obviously bittersweet. We did not play the, the final match the way we would have liked to. Um, but in retrospect and given where we, you know, were and what we thought was on the table, um, at some point in early February, it's tough not to be, you know, pleased with, with where, where we finished and how it went. Yeah. You know, I guess my question for you would be to coach two teams gives you, it's like you have two opportunities to win every time. Right. But you also have two opportunities to be bummed. And I could tell you're a passionate <laughs> person, right? You don't do something like this. You're as, I can tell you, you're as crazy as I am. You're not as crazy as Mike O'Brien because he's just very <laughs> but, but you're as crazy as I am. You're coaching two teams at the same time. You got to be a little bit loopy, right? I mean, no one would do that. You got you to be a risk taker. You got to be a little crazy. 
But you're coaching two teams. How terrible is it when one team wins and the other team loses? And you're, you want to be happy for one. But obviously, I remember those feelings. When our team lost, it didn't happen very often because we were lucky to have great players. When they lost, it was like the world was ending. And I can't imagine what it would be like to have one group celebrating on the bus ride home and the other team is just, you know, despondent. What's that like balancing those kinds of emotions between the two teams? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's more cliches, apologies in advance too, but you know, we've gotten to the point where, you know, we're, we're super competitive and I am super competitive and I'm crazier than both you and Michael Bryant and by a wide margin. Um, so we, we, we want to win badly and we do not like to lose badly. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've gotten to the point where we really are focused on the process and if we're doing, you know, preparing ourselves the right way. And if we show up and compete the right way and we lose, we're okay with it. The tougher times are, you know, when one, both either team, you know, is struggling to kind of prepare the right way. You know, and, and that's an ongoing thing. So that's something that's on a daily basis. And honestly, that's the tougher challenge. And so, look, if we, you know, like we did, you know, in the in the women's final this year, just didn't play our best match, you know, and, and you know, we didn't compete as well as we're capable of. Look, it happens. It happens sometimes. I think we, I don't remember, but I think we'd won something like 22 matches, 24 matches, and Mike O'Brien, something like that in a row. And we played, a, you know, a mediocre match against a really good team. It happens. But I felt like the way we prepared and the way we kind of, you know, amplified the culture and our core values as a team, you know, through COVID and everything that was going on, made it really tough to be particularly disappointed, you know, in that in that instant. I was because of competitiveness, but, you know, it faded or it will fade one of these years. But um, and, and look, similarly, you know, uh, you know, I feel like it's harder to you know, to get everybody to, to, you know, buy in and to kind of show up on an everyday kind of basis to what we are trying to do. And we're more focused on that and making sure that we kind of execute that as well as we can. And if we do that, and at the same time, recruit successfully, we're going to be in position to win a whole lot of big matches and we're still going to lose some, but we're okay with that. And, and I, I think, I think also too, coach, the, uh, you know, the one thing that I, I, I think, you know, you and the staff have done a great job on is, is, um, you know, just how close the two teams are, you know, and, and I've, I've gone to many matches, uh, on the courts at, you know, on Vine street and, um, you know, it, it, you know, sometimes if, if, you know, the other team is, is playing right after them or, or, you know, who's ever, you know, if the men are playing and the women are playing after them, then they might be warming up, but, if they're, if they played the previous day or they're not playing that day, uh, it's an off day for them. I mean, like almost the entire team is there, you know, rooting for the team that's playing, you know? And I mean, I've seen that time and time again. I remember that vividly from, you know, watching the webcast of the, the national championship, you know, match in, in 2019 and, you know, having, you know, you know, some of our men's players going crazy for, for the women um, as they were, as they were, you know, winning the national championship and, you know, to me, I, I, I just think that that speaks volumes in terms of the culture that you've built and the closeness of the teams. And I think that's that's really special. Well, I appreciate it. And I think, again, to, to, to what we were talking about before, I mean, it, it is a top priority for us and one of the unique things about working with both teams. And and if you talk to, to the you know, student athletes on our team, both women's team and men's team, you know, they'll all tell you it's one of their favorite things about, about, you know, the program is, you know, that camaraderie and that connectedness between the two teams. And yeah, I mean, even same day, Chris, back to your, your point, you know, yeah. You know, one team will lose a heartbreaking match in the morning, but the other team's playing in the afternoon and that team is rebounded and is, you know, rattling the fence for the, you know, for the other team in the afternoon without exception. And, you know, it, it number one takes a little bit of the sting out of, out of the loss, but you know, it's so well received by the team that's on the court in the afternoon, because, you know, we all lose tough matches. The idea that, you know, your support system is there, the world doesn't end upon that loss. And that, you know, the people, the people that are around you, the people that love you don't love you any less because you came up four five instead of five, four is kind of a key part of the experience for all of them. So coach Whalen touched on this a little bit, but 
you know, spring of 2020 hurt everybody. It hurt me. I lost a hundred games in five minutes. Coach obviously dealt with it. You dealt with it. This year there was the uncertainty. I actually had to get a real job, if you could believe that, because of what happened in 2020. Um, how much are you looking forward to normalcy in the fall, hopefully, and being able to get out there and see what you can put your best team out there and both the men's and women's side and really get after it? Because I know you touched on how remarkable it was that your women's team did what they did. You also touched on kind of the shortcomings of what you know you were dealing with with like a lot of them a lot of the teams were dealing with in the spring because a lot of the student athletes didn't know if there were going to be sports and they didn't want to miss two years in a row of eligibility so how much are you looking forward to coming back in the fall and hopefully you know just grinding away and getting ready to to compete for for titles and and for ultimate success in this coming year um the proper answer is to say you know i'm ecstatic about it i'm so looking forward to it. the truthful answer is you know is i'm so wrapped up in you know you know, current recruiting for, for the next cycle that's ramping up really aggressively right now. And, and, you know, still end of year, you know, pre-summer meetings with everybody on the, on the team that's coming back and trying to find an assistant coach to come in and replace CJ, who's moving on to a site graduate program at UConn um, that, that what I'm excited about, you know, sincerely, is I'm excited for the mental health of everybody on our teams. I'm excited for the kids to come back and be able to have a full college experience, to be able to go to class in person, to be able to socialize, to be able to play tennis without masks on, to be able to kind of hopefully, fingers crossed, we're, we're, we're moving that direction, to have a full college experience and have the weight of all of this stuff off their shoulders and, and you know, to find some balance again. It's enough stressors to be, you know, at a really rigorous, high achieving academic school and be training, you know, to, to be the best team in the country, you know, to have the, the craziness of a global pandemic on top of it, you know, took its toll on everybody. And it's clearly not just, you know, our teams or Wesleyan, it's the, it's the world. But I think at that age in particular, it's brutal. And I'm really excited, you know, for them to be able to kind of feel lighter and more excited about, you know, grinding at the things that they came to school to, to really work hard at. Coach, I want to shift gears a little bit here and, and uh, talk about you. No, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about. Um, That's you know, how Vicky played with Eudis. <laughs> no, the, uh, I want to talk about the, um, you know, the incredible support that, that the program receives from, from alumni and parents. And, uh, you know, I, 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 as the athletic director, no one knows better than me, um, you know, the challenges that we face budget wise. And, uh, you know, now, you know, going through COVID, uh, you know, we, we, we're experiencing a 10% cut, uh, which, you know, is not coming back after COVID uh, in, our, in our operating budgets. Uh, you know, our rental income has been non-existent because we haven't been able to rent because of COVID, which is part of our operating budget. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you know, you've done a fantastic job with fundraising and, um, you know, support with, uh, gaining support, uh, financial support from both alumni and parents. And, um, you know, you, 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 run, you know, you know, pre COVID and hopefully post COVID, uh, you know, an annual, uh, you know, alumni tennis match, you know, where, where, the, where you call it the pro-am where the, the alums get to come and play with the current student athletes, but, you know, just kind of talk about that, that whole um, process of, you know, of, um, you know, of, of building that support from, from both, you know, alumni and parents. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it goes back again to this idea of, you know, what the, what the prior priorities of the program are and, and the sense of family, you know, includes this group of people, parents and alumni and, you know, it's really important to us whether they're going to be able to kind of, you know, tangibly support the program or just kind of be engaged and involved and actively kind of part of this family is, is you know, an important piece of, you know, what we're trying to be. And, you know, so, so if we're fortunate enough that, that you know, you know, some people are, are in a position where they can contribute, where they're offering, you know, their time and their, you know, mentoring in whatever career field they're in to the, to the student athletes on the team. 
or internship opportunities or job shadowing, whatever it may be, you know, that's amazing. And if those or other people are in a position to kind of financially support us and the needs that, you know, as you, as you point out with, with, you know, budgets, what they are to kind of compete at a national level, you know, it, it's critical to be able to, you know, to put ourselves in the position that we have. Um, but equally importantly, maybe more importantly, it's just, it's part of the feel of being on the team. And that's different of, from the feel of, of being on a lot of other teams that are really good schools and really good, you know, tennis programs. And it's really important to us. And we work hard to kind of, you know, cultivate it. Um, and we've been really fortunate. We've been really lucky that people have been excited about what we're doing or the energy within the program or the support from, from, from you for the, for the program. And they've become engaged. And so whether it's people on the road, you know, or people reaching out to us or, or honestly, even, you know, this family is now, thanks to Fred Cohen, including professors and faculty that are reaching out to kids on the team as they're, you know, finding success in the postseason. Um, and yeah, we've had, you know, one person in particular, you know, that's been, you know, absolutely irreplaceable in terms of, you know, just being behind the program and, and the kind of guy that's been, you know, Hey, look, you know, if somebody needs to talk to somebody in whatever career field it is, I'll find somebody for them. If somebody needs to talk to me at, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you know, pick up the phone, have them call me. If, you know, the, the program is, is going to struggle to, to bring in a top assistant coach, let me know. And, you know, that's, you know, that's a needle in a haystack and we're lucky. So coach Freed, the question is, is there a spot in the pro-am where coach Whalen could maybe, I don't know, play doubles with say Udis? <laughs> that they, uh, I couldn't that, even, I couldn't do I that. To she's, I couldn't she's do on the other her. side of the world, but I mean, coach, I'll tell you what, there's a spot for a six foot plus guy to just stand up the net and have a presence. All you can do is have a presence coach. You get your serve in, you have a presence. They put it on your forehand side. You put it away. Other than that, you just have a presence. That'll, yeah. get, that'll win you some points. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we've decided in recent years that, you know, knock on wood, we've been pretty healthy. But the Pro-Am is such that, you know, there are more injuries on Pro-Am day than, you know, the rest of the year combined. So we've implemented a new rule, I think, for the 2021 Pro-Am, which you have to have at least one of your original hips to be allowed to participate. <laughs> so, so coach is out. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, out. Yeah. 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 No look. question about it. Yep. I think uh I think coach is probably past his prime when it comes to playing with Udis, but you know, I, I echo what, what Coach Whalen has said, you know, and what you said, Coach Freed, that there's great pride in this program and there's great pride in Wesleyan Athletics in general. And obviously it took great foresight from Coach Whalen to understand the potential what you could do coaching both programs, because that is a crazy idea. But you've obviously taken that and ran with it and done amazing things. And I personally look forward to seeing what you guys do with the full season this next year. So, well, I appreciate it. It's very nice of you to say, and, you know, look, all due respect, you know, it, it, it's been really cool, but you know, he's had some other crazy ideas too. And you look at the success <laughs> of some of the other programs and then you look at what, you know, the entire athletic department's done, you know, whether you measure it by, you know, you know, director's cup or, you know, just progress in, in, in NESCAC or NCAA kind of seasons and rankings. And uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, follow whatever crazy ideas he's got and, you know, see where they take us. Well, typically at the end of our shows, we, we put people through Wesleyan based questions, but since you, you know, like, like me, you, you're not a Wes alum. All I'm going to ask you is one critical gauntlet question. And that question is going to be, who's your favorite tennis player of all time? Oh God! Shouldn't I have like a really quick, ready answer to this? Do you have an answer to that? Can you? Do you know yeah, off the top? Andre Agassi, hundred times out of hundred. Ah, mine uh, is Judas. <laughs> <laughs> instead of instead of answering that question, since I, since I should have a ready answer and I don't necessarily, I'll tell you a good Andre Agassi story to finish it. Um, um, it was it was like a million years ago in the. I can't remember his boys, 14s or 16 and under national indoors, but it was in Chicago and Agassi was a year younger than me, but it had like, you know, there's no internet, you know, we're old and there's nothing going on, but there was all kinds of buzz around him. It was like right after 
there was this story going around where he played like a futures tournament or, or, or a satellite in Florida and, and beat some guy, you know, who was like ranked 150 in the world while wearing a pair of blue jeans. Yep. And so there was like big buzz around him and he played the tournament and um, we actually, I had a good run in doubles, my partner and I, we, I don't know if it was around a 16 or quarterfinals, but I distinctively remember this match playing against Agassi and his partner. And Agassi doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word during warm-up. He doesn't say a word during the beginning of the match. And it's really competitive in the beginning. We get to a point where it's five all in the first set. And Agassi's playing the ad court. My partner hits a kick serve out wide. And Agassi hits a backhand that goes past me down the line before I literally can blink or flinch or just nothing. And he hasn't said a word the entire time. And we're changing sides. And as we're changing sides, he just kind of glances up at me and still really quietly says, you like that two-handed backhand, huh? And that was it. That was the only thing he said the entire match. They won seven, five, six, love. And I never saw him again. <laughs> that's it. That's it. it. Shut yeah. it down. Yeah. That's, that's it for us tonight. That's a story. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. That yeah. is fantastic. Well, that's a perfect way to end it. And Coach Freed, like, like Coach Whalen has, you know, said, I, I appreciate your time. I personally was looking forward to this so much because I had so many questions and I followed tennis so closely. And I feel like it doesn't get enough love. You shouldn't have to win a national championship to get love in, in the world of tennis because it's a great game. Um, but, but I appreciate you being on the show. So, Coach Whalen, I don't know if you've got anything else to add. If not, we're going to wrap this thing up. No, just, uh, you know, looking forward to, um, you know, to uh, our, our, uh, our next step. And, and, and that right is, uh, as, as Coach Fried alluded to earlier, is, you know, he's, he's out there beating the bushes right now, trying to get this next group uh, together for, uh, for early decision. And, you know, as the official GM for men's and women's tennis, you know, I just, uh, I just sit back and wait for him to, uh, to bring me the, um, you know, the, the names and serial numbers of all these outstanding student athletes. And, and then we, we go from there. So looking forward to, uh, to our, our, uh, our annual summer meetings. Likewise. Well, for the coach, Mike Whalen, and for the other coach, Mike Freed. Not the other coach, but the coach, I guess. I don't know. It's confusing. We're all coaches. And the coach, Mike Freed. I'm Chris Grace. You've been listening to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. Till next time. So long, everybody. Okay, coach, another episode. This one, I look forward to all of them, but this one I've been asking and asking and asking and asking. I was just dying to know how this was even possible for a human being to coach elite level sports on both the men's and women's side at the same time. And that's what we have tonight. Our guest tonight, coach, is who? Our head men's and women's tennis coach, uh, Mike Freed, uh, is with us tonight. He's, um, he's actually our first guest that uh, um, is not a West grad. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, 2019, uh, national champion from with our women's tennis team and 2021 national runner up uh, just just a couple of weeks ago um, has just done an incredible job uh, in his tenure uh, at his 10 years uh, tenure at Wesleyan and um, you know really excited to uh, to talk with him about uh, you know kind of where he where he was and where we are and what what holds the future for uh, Wesleyan tennis. Yeah, I'm really excited. Those of you who listen know that I am more than just football and basketball and baseball. I am a tennis man at heart. And when you're a tennis man at heart, you're a tennis man at love because I love tennis and tennis loves me. And we love our guests tonight. But first things first, it's 40 love. And uh, Mike O'Brien's got to tell us how they can stay connected with our podcast. So you can stay connected with the podcast by following us on Twitter and Instagram at West underscore athletics and on Facebook at Wesleyan.athletics. You can also subscribe to Chris and coach beyond the box score on Apple podcasts, and you can contact us directly by emailing athletics at Wesleyan.edu. And obviously if you have any, any uh, suggestions, questions, um, you know, future guest recommendations, uh, we're, we're, we're always open for suggestions. So, uh, you know, don't reach out to me cause I don't do social media, but reach out to one of those guys and, uh, either, either, uh, Chris or Mike and, and, uh, we can, we can, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, uh, uh, take you up on your suggestions. We'd certainly love to hear from you. You could also, uh, yell at me directly at Chris Grace 82 on that Twitter machine. If that, uh, is something you're interested in, but for now, you're not going to want to miss this. 
very fascinating human being with a fascinating story. And uh, he deals with the set of circumstances that literally I don't think anyone else in the world of college athletics deals with. Our guest tonight, Wesleyan Athletics, men's and women's, both the ITA men's and women's national coach of the year. That's right. He's excelling on both sides. He is Mike Freed. 